privilege to come into God's presence, just to linger with the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee.
with you. But we talked about this verse last Sunday night. John 16, verse 21. It says, A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And I, I told a story about how when my wife had Lana, it was a very intense delivery. And I, I really got scared when she had her. I thought, man, you know, is she going to pull through this thing? It was tough. And, but, you know, as soon as she was born, I remember the doc, boy, the doctors, they handed her that baby. And literally within seconds, she is talking to the doctors like nothing had happened. And I'm still kind of hyperventilating, freaking out a little bit and thinking, is she going to be okay? And she's just talking normal like everything's, you know, like nothing had happened. And I am, I'm still traumatized. You know, I'm thinking, you know, man, the doctors need to give me something, you know, to uh, help me get through this. But she, you know, and, and it's, I guess that's just part of it when they have that baby. But the Bible talks about that. You know, it is a painful experience to give birth to a child. I'm sure it is. I've never experienced it, and I thank the Lord for that. If men had to have babies, uh, the human race would have ceased to exist a long time ago. But, uh, you know, I've been there all six times when they've been born, and so I, I do believe it is a painful thing. But, you know, it's always worth it. And so they'll do it, and they do it again. And they'll do, they do it again and again sometimes. In the case of my wife, six times she's given birth to children. And it's worth it because there's something that's great that's produced there. And what I want to do this morning today, I want to try to compare a few things with pastoring and parenting. And kind of talk about some of the things that they have in common and just kind of show in our five years of history the things that pastoring this church, how it's been similar to, in some ways, parenting my kids. Okay, and... Don't take this and say, you know, Pastor Tom wants to start calling him father like the Catholics do. No, I don't. I'm not your father. I'm your brother. All right. I've taught you that before. But there are some comparisons. And when I, but I remember back when we started this church, the very first day, it was that Sunday morning. Got a lot of pictures of it back there this morning. And before the service started, a preacher friend of mine called me. And, you know, just let me know that he was uh, praying for the church and just excited about the church getting started here. And he made a statement to me that I had never heard before in this context. But since then, I have heard so many preachers say it. It's not even funny. But he was the one who he took over an existing church not long before we had started the church here. And the statement he made to me was, you know, I think starting a church is a good thing the way you guys are doing it. He said, you know why? Because it's a lot easier to give birth than to raise the dead. And I know a lot of preachers that have taken over dead churches, and man, it's not fun. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. And I think I would agree. I would rather try to you know give birth and raise the dead. <laughs> and uh, and it is. It's there's a lot of truth to that. And I've heard so many people say that since then. But you know, I got to thinking about the birth of Liberty Baptist Church before we started the church. You know, there was that you know dream of starting a church. You know, the Lord had kind of put it in my heart to start a church somewhere. I didn't know where it was going to be. I didn't know how it was going to work. But you know, a lot of praying immediately started happening. Kind of before you have a child, you know, you don't know what the child's going to look like. You don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. You don't know for sure when you're going to have it. But you know, many times there's some praying that goes on. There's a lot of praying. There's a lot of dreaming. You start imagining what it's going to be like having a child. You imagine, you know, what's it going to be like being a father? What's it going to be like being a mother? And I wondered, you know, what's it going to be like being a pastor? Especially if you start a church too, because, you know, if the Lord sends me somewhere where I don't know anybody, I don't know who any of these people are that are going to be 
in this church that I'm going to be pastoring. Just like you know, when you have a child, you know, you don't know who that person is going to be. You know, it's going to be your child. You know, you're going to love it. You love that child before it even comes into this world because it's yours. And it's the same thing too when it comes to the church. Before we'd even started the church, you know, I did. I I thought about who we we're going to get and. I don't know. I start. I started loving this church before we had our first service. I really did. There was a lot of dreaming. There was a lot of planning. A lot of preparation. Just like when you find out you're going to have a baby, many times you'll start getting a room ready and you'll start getting it decorated. And you know, women. My wife especially. She always wants to know what she's going to have ahead of time, so she can know what she needs to get, how to decorate. I'm always like, let's be surprised. You know, I, I always want the surprise. And I think we've only been surprised. With two of them, she's always getting her way and finding out what it's going to be. And I like I like being surprised, but you know, you, you, you there, but you do. There's a lot of planning. There was a lot of planning before we started this church. There was a lot of preparation. There was a many visits that I made here to town, just driving around the area, getting to know the area a little bit, trying to find out what buildings are available. Hey, where can we meet? And you're just you're planning. You know, you're you're wanting to make preparations. You know, I. I was the most stressful thing before we started the church was where are we going to meet? We got to find a place to meet if we're going to start printing up flyers and because we had set a date for starting the church before we had a meeting place or anything like that. And so I was like, man, I got I, we got to find a place. We got to find it the sooner the better. And and uh, many of you know the story of how the Lord led us to this place. I'm not going to tell that again, but just but there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of anxiety at the same time, man. I, I, I was excited. I mean, I did. I imagined great things. You know, you know, we were full that day. I thought I was going to be full every day after that. You know, I, I thought we were going to be, you know, building a new building, you know, within a year or so. You know, after everybody comes and hears me preach, you know, they're, you know, they're never going to go anywhere else again. But you know, it didn't happen that way. But you know, there. But at the same time, while I had the excitement, you know, while you imagined, uh, you know. Everybody coming, hundreds and thousands of people getting saved, and just well, you imagine all those things. At the same time, I had been around long enough. I talked to enough church planners to know it doesn't always work out like you think it will. I had visions of nobody showing up. You know, I had visions of maybe some people showing up the first week and then nobody coming back the next week. I remember after that first service. You know, it was so exciting, all the people that came, but I, but a lot of the people that were there that day, when you look at those pictures, it's a little deceiving because a lot of people were here that were helping. There was people from my dad's church. There was a lot of people that came who, you know, I knew weren't going to be back the next week. And so, my big thing that after everybody did hear me preach was, you know, who's going to come back the next week? And that was, you know, so there was, there was a lot of excitement. There's a lot of anxiety. It's the same thing when you have a child coming. You do. Man, you're excited. You're going to have, you find out you're going to have a baby. It's excited. But then, how am I going to provide for this kid? You know, what am I going to do? You know, it all, you, you start thinking about all these different things. You know, what if it's born and it only has, you know, eight fingers? That was one of the first things I did when Tommy was born. I counted his fingers. Because, I, where I used to work, I used to finish cabinets, and I remember reading all the, you know, the, thing, the warnings on all the stain and lacquer and stuff we use, and it talked about birth defects. And I was like, man. And there was a guy that uh, he didn't work at that place, but he came there. We did some work with, and he was born on both hands. He only had four fingers, and I was like, hmm. I wonder if his dad did this kind of work, you know. <laughs> and I, I worried about those things. The first thing I did was I counted 
I counted his fingers and like, oh good, ten fingers, ten toes, and felt really good. But I was worried because when Tommy was born, you should have seen the shape of his head. It was scary. But thankfully, I had been warned that that happens. But it, I, I did. I asked the doctor, like, is that normal? And I was like, yeah, that's normal. It'll go back to normal. And by the next day, his head looked normal. But it did. It was. It was scary looking when he was born. It was. He had a big cone head. It was. It was. It was. It was weird. And I. I got scared. But. Um, but you do. You know. You worry. You worry about things. Because you know, there's just so much unknown when it comes to parenting, raising kids, what's the future going to be like, and it's the same thing when you're going to start a church. Especially, remember, you know, five years ago, okay, five years ago, and you know, about two, five years and two hours ago, I didn't know anybody that was in this room. I, you know, except a couple of you I had talked to out visiting, but that was about it. Didn't really know you, and so, um, you know. You did. There was a lot you could worry about, and so then you know after the church has started, then you face the reality of it. Because you know, you know who the best pastors are in the world? Guys who've never pastored a church. They know it all, man. They know everything that pastors ought to do. Uh, they do. They know it all. You wouldn't believe how many expert church planners I know that have never planted a church. It's amazing, you know. And preachers too. We always think we're the experts on everything. They, preachers are the worst ones. And I'd have these guys, they'd give me all these advice and tell me how things ought to go and how it ought to be done. And it's like, did you ever start a church? No, but I read a book. You know, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. And same thing too with parents. The best parents in the world are people who've never raised kids. All right, we've all been there before where you see that parent in the store, you know, and their kid's out of control. You know, if that was my kid, this is what I would do. And you, you have those plans. You know, you'll read those books on discipline or something, you know, you, you read about how you ought to spank your kid and how you need to do this and have consistency. And you have these plans, okay, when my kid misbehaves, and it's going to misbehave, this is how I'm going to handle it. This is how I'm going to approach it. I am going to, you know, I'm going to go to them. I am going to correct them. I am going to talk with them. I'm going to ask them, hey, do you understand what you did wrong? And then they're going to, you know, they're going to talk back with me. We're going to have some dialogue and they're going to see the error of their ways and they're going to feel bad because they hurt their mom or they hurt their dad. And then they're going to be straightened out. They're going to be perfect little angels and everything's going to be great. And you know, when you read about it in the book, it seems, man, that's going to work perfectly. And same thing too, when you read a church planning book, it tells you everything you ought to do. It's like, man, that can do nothing but succeed. But here's something that happens though, you know, when you find out, or whenever you do start pastoring a church, or even becoming a parent, you find out you're not an expert. I don't know how many books I read on church planning before we started that church. I mean, I'm just as, I was as ready as anyone could be, but, you know what, truth is, I found out I wasn't an expert. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 says, "...because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world..." And the things that which are despised have God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. I figured that out real quick after starting the church. Because I asked myself, you know, Lord, why me? I don't know what I'm doing. I found out real quick I didn't know what I was doing. It, we started in September. In October, I had a 
I had a guy call me up, you know, having some problems. Yeah, he called the pastor for some counsel. And he started explaining his problem, you know, telling me what had happened. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details on what had happened, but he got real upset, you know, and was, was so mad at himself. And all of a sudden, he kind of pulled the phone away from himself and started screaming. He just started screaming. And I'm on the other line. I'm like, what'd I do? <laughs> Waited for him to finish screaming. He got done screaming. He got back on. He's like, sorry about that. You know, and I, I tried to, you know, say some words to help. And honestly, I don't think I did. I don't think I helped him at all. I, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know how to handle screaming people real well. I told that story a few weeks ago about the lady that started screaming when we were visiting. You know, hey, I want to help people, but if you just start screaming, I get freaked out. I'm sorry, and uh, insanity has always scared me. I've always been a little worried about that, and I, I didn't know what to do. You know, people they they come to you with their problems about things, and I, I'm not ready for this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do about this. I mean, you do. You find out you're you're not an expert. I had people. You know that what I remember. You know, I'll tell the story about Brother Lonnie. He 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 just started coming. He wanted me to come over and talk to him, and he started talking about some things. And man, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, what am I going to tell him? And I don't even remember what I said. I don't think I said much of anything. But he, we got done, and he was just thanking me, telling me what a big help I was. And I think all I did was I listened, and that helped him. And I walked out of there, and he was acting like I was just the greatest thing that ever happened. And I'm just like. I had no clue what I was doing in there. I mean, have you ever done a project, you know, started working on something in your house or your car, and you realize real quick, man, I am not qualified for this at all. And that's how I felt after starting the church. I'm not qualified for this. I'm not ready for this. You know, I'm not an expert. The church planning books, they don't cover everything. They, I've never read one chapter in a church planning book on what to do when the, you're counseling somebody and they just start screaming. I read books on counseling. And they never said what to do when people just start screaming. Never, never covered that. Wasn't ready for that. Didn't know how to handle that. And not only that, I found out too that while it's easy for us to figure out what everyone's supposed to do, just like it's easy when you read those books on child rearing, you know, we all know what our kids are supposed to do. We all know how they should respond. But you find out after you get a child, they have a will of their own, don't they? They have, they have a will of their own. We're like, do you see what you did wrong? No! It wasn't my fault. How can you not see it's your fault? Did you not hear that, you know, eloquent, you know, you know, monologue I just went on explaining all your problems? It was right out of the book. Come on, you know, what's going on here? People have a will of their own. People don't do everything that they should do, everything you think they would do. You find out people have a free will and it just doesn't I mean, I'd get these messages together. Like, man, I'm going to preach this message, and there, there is no way this isn't going to change everyone's lives. I mean, this is going to straighten everybody out. I was convinced that we were going to have like a mini Pentecost today. I thought 30 people were going to get saved at first service. It didn't happen. You know, we gave the invitation. All the lost folks didn't come forward like they were supposed to. What's going on? You know, they just all these people. I know there were a lot of lost people in there, and a lot of them ended up getting saved eventually, but. They heard the plan of salvation. I mean, I nailed the message. And here's the invitation. We're all ready to go. We had altar workers ready and everything. Nobody came forward and got saved. What's going on? You know, people have a will of their own. They don't do everything they're supposed to. And same thing with kids. You know, I'm just now at the stage where we have teenagers. And, you know, that's supposed to get difficult. 
And you know, thankfully so far so good. Uh, you know, it, you know, we we have our challenges, but I mean, so far so good. But you know what? You can read all the books you want, but they do. They got they have a will of their own. There's just some things you, you never know what's going to happen. And you know what? You you find out as a parent, you make a lot of mistakes, don't you? And as a pastor, I make a, I've made a lot of mistakes. I don't like to talk about them. I don't like to bring those things up. If somebody didn't notice, uh, I would you know prefer that they continue to not notice. You know, I'm, I'm not going to point them out. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you all know what they are. But if you have happened to notice some of the mistakes, uh, I've probably seen it too. And uh, if if you if you did notice, you don't have to tell me. Okay. I mean, have you ever? I probably shouldn't tell that story, but you know, have you ever seen some? Uh, it didn't happen here, but have you ever seen something really embarrassing happen to somebody? Maybe they tripped and fell, and you know, you re- once you realize they're not hurt, you act like you don't see it. To be polite, because what's the first thing you do when you fall down in public? <laughs> you see who's looking, right? That's exactly what you do. You look around, you see who's looking, and you just hope that nobody saw it. You know, I'm going to tell this story. I shouldn't tell this story. I was in church one time. This was at my dad's church. And, I mean, this this is the gospel truth, okay? There was a big crowd that day. And we were doing the handshaking like we do here. And we had the choir up on the platform. And one of the ladies went up there. She was walking up the steps onto the platform. All kinds of people out there behind her. And as she is walking up the steps, she kind of stepped on her skirt. And it went down. And she she caught it fast, and I mean pulled up fast. And there, my sister was right behind her when it happened. She saw it. You know, I was standing over here. I'm kind of facing that way, and I saw. It, and I just immediately just kind of looked over, and I didn't react. But I listened, and I heard her say. I, I, the first thing she said, "Did anybody see that?" And they're and, and they're and they're like looking out across the crowd, and I'm looking at the crowd too because. If people would have seen that, you would have been able to tell by their faces. And they look, and I, I saw them there looking, and I, I heard them saying, "I don't think anybody saw it." And but I did see it. But you know what? I didn't tell her <laughs> because that was embarrassing. Okay. And you know what? Yeah, I've made some mistakes. I hope y'all didn't notice. If you did notice, just pretend you didn't. Okay. You know, help me out there. That'd be that'd be a blessing. You know, we've all we've all been there before. We've made a lot of mistakes, but you know, even though. I found out real quick I wasn't an expert, even though I, you know, I made mistakes. One thing that started happening, it was some of the things that start happening when you're raising kids. You know, when you're, when you're raising children, you do everything for them, don't you? You have to do everything. I remember, you know, we had the first three real close together. I remember just getting in the car was a big deal because you had to round up three, pick up three little kids and put them all in car seats. It was a pain in the neck just to go drive somewhere. And then if you're starting going to stores, you got to keep going and getting them out of the, all three of them out of their car seats and getting them in the cart. And it was just a lot of work doing anything. Going out to eat, we almost decided that you know what, we're not going out to eat anymore because Tommy was horrible in restaurants. Let me tell you there's something about them firstborns. I get they're they're rotten. And uh, and when you are a firstborn of two firstborns, you're really gonna be rotten. And we it's like we, we can't even go out to eat. 
And it was so bad, but you know, we finally said, you know, we can't do this. We can't be prisoners of our home because our kids are out of control. We got to get control, and we got control. And you know, we got to where we could go out and eat, and people would tell us, "Man, your kids are so well behaved." And it was like you didn't hear the speech they got before we came in here. <laughs> if, if you'd have heard all the threats we gave them, <laughs> you know, you, you would understand why they're being as good as they're being. But we did. We used to steak and shake. There was something about steak and shake. It would just. The place was full of demons. They would all possess Tommy every time we'd go in there. And we would drive by Steak and Shake. Hey, Dad, that's the place where I'm always bad. That's what he, that's what he would say when we would drive by there. And and I'm, I remember before we would go in there, just I'd turn around and I'd look at him. Anything you guys do, you do one thing when we get home. I'm telling you, when we get home, you are going to get the hardest spanking that you've ever had. You better not cry in there. You cry. There is no turning back. There is no talking your way out of it. You will get spanked. And I... I, I just like that. I mean, just as me as I could. And and it, it got to where it worked. We had talked about it. We never did this. We got I got that close to saying, you know what? Let's start spanking them before we go in there. <laughs> and then they'll be good. But I was afraid that would send a mixed message, you know, spanking them before, when they actually haven't done anything wrong. We never did that. But we were close. And it was, man. It was, it was hard. You know, my wife, she'll tell you those... Years when the the first three were real little, she doesn't even remember a lot of things. It was just kind of a blur, you know, just because it, it was it was tough. But you know what? They started getting older, and they started being able to buckle themselves and go to the bathroom themselves and feeding themselves. And as they got to being able to do the, where they could do those things, man, parenting started getting easier and easier. I mean, it used to be, when we first came out here especially, it was hard because we didn't hardly know anybody. We needed babysitters. And so Emily, she was our babysitter for a long time, but you know, we'd have to go pick Emily up, and then you know, she'd watch the kids, and then after we got done, we had to go take her back, and we had to pay her too, because you know, you're not going to watch our kids for free. But we, we had, we'd have to do all that, and it was, it was a real pain in the neck, and it was expensive. But they got older. You know, now we have two teenagers. Now, my wife and I, we can just say, Want to go out to eat? Yeah, let's go out to eat. Tommy, watch the watch kids. And boom, we're gone just like that. And we don't have to pay them. We, we do sometimes, you know, for feeling generous. But you know what? When we started the church, we, we did, you know, when you start a church, you have to do everything at first. But you know what? As time went on, people started getting involved. People started doing things. And, and uh, you know, it. You started seeing that growth and that involvement, and you know, it got a little easier. I'm going to tell you right now, I had no desire to start a church again. You know, people they refer to me as a church planner because I started a church, but I think of a church planner as one who starts a church and then goes and starts another church and keeps doing it. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to start a church. <laughs> I, I don't want to start a church again. I, I like where we're at now. It is. It's getting. It's getting better. It's getting easier. But you know, people they started taking. You know, they started taking ownership and responsibilities, and it it helped. You know, I tell you, there is one of the biggest thrills that any dad gets. I think is when you can tell your son, "Go mow the grass." I've got three acres in my house, big yard, and you know what? I hardly ever mow it. <laughs> the boys are able to do that. It's nice. It makes things easier. You know, we got a big yard here at the church, but I barely ever mow the church. The boys do that. And man, I learned that from Brother Menez, watching all he'd get accomplished. You know, he's like, "Yeah, I'll take care of that." Samuel, Daniel, <laughs> and then he'd get them on. I'm like, "Man, that's awesome! I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing that with my boys." And, 
And I do it all the time. So if they get mad at me for all the work I'm making them do, I, I picked it up from Brother Menez. And uh, it's nice. But yeah, now, now theirs are, yours are grown and gone. And so now it's back on you. And man, uh, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> but, but, it's, but you know, as, as you see people getting involved in doing things, it helps. You start seeing people get emotionally attached to the church. So I love the church right away. You know, I mean, there had been so much prayer, planning, preparation, all that stuff. I, I mean, I had a lot invested in this place before we started it. But then when you see other people getting that way too, you start seeing them feel the same way about it and them loving the church, loving the people in the church, you know, caring what happens, what goes on. That's motivating for me that it's not just me that feels that way. It's motiv- you know, I mean, there's pretty much everybody that came to the church that day. I'm not kidding. Everybody who filled out a visitor card, I still remember all those people's names. And I, I, I saw some people the other day, I hadn't seen them since right after we started the church. I remember their names. You know why? Because I remember getting all those first visitor cards. I, I visited all those people. I prayed for all those people. I, I, I was hoping they were all going to come back and be a part of this church. I got emotionally attached real quick. Just like a parent, when they have a child... Boy, they love that child immediately. But you know, isn't it neat when the child gets a little older and they start loving you back? It's a good feeling, isn't it? You know, the first time you hear that little baby, that little child, and they can barely talk, trying to say, I love you. You love that as a parent. And I think pastors, they, they love the people in the church quick, but when the people start loving back, it really does, it really feels good. It's very, uh, it is a very fulfilling thing, and I do. I, I mean, I I thank God for that. It is, it is a very thrilling thing to see that. And so, you know, here we are. We're, you know, we're five years into this. We're getting to where, um, you know, so we're, we've got. I think we're emotionally attached in many ways. We're seeing, we're seeing growth. We're seeing people get more involved. So, what is that next step? Where do we go from here? We're only five, you know, we're only five years old. We're still young. Well, I think it's time for the members of this church to start taking on big boy and big girl responsibilities. You know, kids, like I said at first, it was a big deal and it was exciting and it was thrilling for us as parents when they could just get in the car by themselves. Thrilled to death with that. Now, we have Lana. She can't do that. But you know what? The other kids can get her in the car seat. I, we, I can walk out to my van right now and say, alright, it's time to go to church and I can just walk out and I can get in my seat. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to some of you people, but let me tell you, it's a big deal. Okay, So those of you in here that have younger kids right now and you've got to do all that work just to get into a vehicle, man, you're going to, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know how hard it is. It's not an easy thing. But you know, it's, I think we need to start seeing more of that. People getting involved, taking on bigger roles, doing, doing more things. The past, you know, I shouldn't have to do everything. I, and I'm, I'm glad I don't. I shouldn't have to do. You know, the pastor shouldn't do everything. The pastor's family shouldn't be the one doing everything in the church. When we started, we did. That was fine. That was fine. You know, we were just getting started, but thank God it didn't last long. People started getting involved and doing things pretty quick. But you know what? I think that type of thing it needs to it needs to go on. People taking on bigger roles, bigger responsibilities. You know, I believe I should be able to be gone for a week. And there not be any disasters here, okay? You know why? Why don't parents just leave their kids at home when they're younger? Well, 
what, you know, there's some horrible things that could happen, but eventually they get old enough, it's like, you know what, we can leave them and nothing bad's going to happen. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about myself today, but, you know, it will do you all good if, you know, I get a break every now and then. Okay? You know, I know some preachers that are just mean and nasty. Well, you know what? Sometimes there's a lot of stress and stuff, and maybe they, you know, they get turned mean and nasty. Well, you know what? Y'all keep me happy. I stay happy. <laughs> you know, you all don't want my wife to be, you know, under a ton of stress and crabby. Because you know what? She's not happy. I'm not happy. Y'all, all you husbands know how that goes, don't you? And you know what? We we do. We need a break now and then. But here's the thing: if we take a break, if we take a Sunday and we go on vacation or we're in church somewhere else, whatever. And then we come back and it's just nightmares. We find out we got like 20 fights to break up and the church split and all that. Well, we're not going to enjoy the next time we're gone because we're going to be worried about that the whole time. And, you know, I tell our kids whenever, you know, we have Tommy watching them, don't be calling us with problems. If there is a problem, call us, but try to make sure there's no problem so you don't have to call us. Okay? Try to handle it. Try to figure out how to govern yourselves. You know, and that and that's an important thing. A church ought to be able to do that. I, I want us to get to the point where if I drop dead, this church will go on and be just fine. I'd like to think that if you know, I, I want to be around for my kids, but I'd like to think if I drop dead, that my kids are still going to turn out okay. And I want to be at that point here at this church where I, we can do that. In First Corinthians chapter one and verse ten, Paul he mentioned you know he uh, they had been reported. Oh, let me read it to you. I won't. I won't say it right otherwise. But he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of, uh, of you, of my, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Paul, who loved this Corinthian church, he's been gone now for a while. And you know it's been reported to them that there's there's fighting going on in the church. There's divisions going on in the church. And parents, if you're gone, you leave your kids at home. You hope they're going to get along. You hope everything's going to be fine. And a pastor feels the same way about his church. Last thing any pastor wants is the people in the church fighting with each other, gossiping, backbiting, tattling, all that stuff that goes on in churches all the time, just like it goes on with little kids at home. You know you want you want to have a church where you don't have to worry about those things. And eventually, if we do that, if we grow up as a church, we can start to do things that we weren't able to do before. It, my wife, we, are, we cannot wait until Tommy has a driver's license. Because once he gets to where he can drive one of the kids to the hospital if he needs to, not only are we going to start you know, doing, you know, just going out on date night, we're going to go start spending the night somewhere. And not have to pay a babysitter and all that. But we, we can't do that now. They're still too young. You need to have somebody in the house that can drive somebody to the hospital in order to do that. And you know what? As a church, this, this eventually, if we grow up, we will be able to start doing things that right now maybe we can't necessarily do. We're just we're not ready for it. Okay? There's been a lot of people that have come here to the church. Hey, you, you're going to do this at church. You're going to have these type of things. And like, I hope so eventually, but right now we're not ready. And then they turn around, oh, you don't have enough fun stuff, we're moving on. But listen, you know, some things we're just not ready for. There's certain classes and things we're not ready for. We had a guy that came to church here one time, and he, uh, he told me that sometimes he has homicidal tendencies. 
and that he just gets angry and he gets in fights with people. And I told him, you can't do that here. Yeah, but I can't help it. I'm bipolar, schizophrenic, I'm all these things. I said, I don't care. I said, you can't get in fights with people in our church. I said, nobody in our church is going to do anything that deserves them you fighting with them. Yeah, but I can't help it. I said, you have to. I said, nobody in our church needs to get beat up or yelled at or anything. You can't do it. And I said, if you have homicidal tendencies, I said, do we need it? So we got a lot of kids in our church. Do we need to worry about the kids? Oh, I wouldn't do anything to hurt any kids. Well, you know, we had that conversation. Then his mom called me up later and chewed me out because how dare I think he would do anything to the kids? And I was like, your son told me he had homicidal tendencies. I had to ask. You know, he told tells me he gets in fights with people all the time. You know, I had to ask about these things. Oh, you're just not a very good church. You're just, you know. And she told me we were a terrible church after that. Which, when she had come that Sunday, we were a great church. But after I told her son all these things, we were a terrible church. And you know what? I'm going to admit it. We're not ready now for uh, to have a church that has a class for people with homicidal tendencies. We're not, we're not ready for that. Okay, uh, You'd have to kind of keep them separate. You'd have to kind of keep them away from the kids and things like that. We're not ready for that yet. But you know what? There's churches that can do that. There's churches that do have, you know, they have big rehab programs that help a lot of people and they're able to, they've got workers that are with these people that can kind of keep an eye on them in case anything happens. We're not ready for some of those things. You know, we're not ready for, uh, eventually I hope we can have bus routes in this church. But you know what? Before we can have a bus route that's bringing in a whole bunch of kids, we've got to have people that have patience and can work with those kids. That can, you know, help keep them under control and can, you know, uh, you know, so there, there's a lot that goes into that. We've got to be ready financially for those things. There's a, and as we grow as a church, we can start taking on responsibilities. We can start adding ministries to this church that can be a blessing to a lot of people. That can do th- be things that are just fun. But we've got to grow up first. We've got we've got to mature as a church first. If we get to where we're, you know, if we can't grow. If we're just going to be stagnant, we're not going to be able to do those things. We've got to have, we've got to have growth. And you know, so there, like I mentioned before, some things, you know, when when our kids were little, just going out to eat was difficult. Just going to the store was a challenge. But you know what? As they got older, those things were easy. They, you know, they're not. Even, we don't even think about them anymore. And as a church, there are some things that right now. We're not ready for them. It's hard. It's it's a little too difficult. But if we grow up, if we mature, we'll be able to do those things. We'll be able to have those ministries. We'll be able to expand many of the things we do. But we have to grow up first. We don't want to stay little children. And you know, so what can we expect in the future? Well, you know, one thing that happens, and I'm just going. I hope this doesn't happen here. But I'm going to throw it out that this happens. Just like when kids get to that teenage, those teenage years. Drama usually unfolds. And you know what happens in a lot of churches after they get been around for a while? Drama. People fighting with each other over just ridiculous things. And I'm going to tell you, can we just skip that stage? You know, I hope we can. You know, I thank God I was in one church for 20 years. I'm thankful I got to work with the youth for many years. If I, if it had, was not for my years of working with teenagers, I probably would have killed my boys already because I learned during that time 
that teenage boys go through a completely brain-dead stage where their brain literally shuts down and just nothing registers. And I would watch this with these boys, and I finally I read a book about it one time, and it explained all that was happening chemically and that was going on, and it made sense. And so I knew one of these days my boys are going to go through a brain-dead stage. And, and Tommy, man, he hit it, and he's kind of coming out of it now, and I'm very thankful for that. But man, did he hit a brain-dead stage. And it was just like... You know, but but I never did. I never choked him because, hey, this is this is part of life. You know, this is gonna pass. You know, and Jason's kind of entering. He's got he's got a brain dead look in his face right now. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it, it, it's fine. You know, no, nothing registering up there. You know, it's a teenage boy thing. All right, dads, don't kill your boys when they're going through that. All right, write it out. I, it'll it will pass, okay? You, it, they will survive it, you know, brother Eric. You'll be facing it here before too long, and you're just gonna look at those boys and like, what is going on? You're gonna want to take them to a doctor, you know? I think the brain you know, fell out. I don't know, but it's fine. It's normal. But you know, we're gonna go through some. You know, you'll you'll have some of those things, but you do. You ride them out. You just be faithful. Just uh, keep on doing what you're supposed to do. And you know, there are things. So we're not capable of them now, but if we Keep on growing. We'll be able to do those things. You know, a teenager, they look forward to that day when they can drive a car. They look forward to that day when they can get a job. You know, those are big responsibilities. But they do. They look forward to it. We ought to be that same way. We ought to be looking forward to the day when we can add these different ministries in our church. You as an individual, you ought to be thinking, you know what, I want to do more. I want to have bigger responsibilities. I want to be more involved in the church. That day can come. And You know, we might go through a rebellious stage. Churches have split sometimes. I hope we don't, but you know what? We can't make people come here. I, I've been trying to figure out a way you can make people do it, but I haven't figured anything out. We live in America. It's a free country. And so you can go to church wherever you want. <laughs> can't make people do it. People have a free will. But you know what? Hopefully, we're going to mature quickly and eventually get to the point where we reproduce as a church. You know, one of these days, my kids are going to grow up and they're going to go and they're going to get married. They're going to start their own families. And you know what? I hope one of these days we start sending people out of this church to maybe start other churches, to be missionaries, and to have ministries all over the world. There's no reason why we can't do that. I would love to see that. I think we will see that. And you know, John 16, verse 21, the verse that we read, you know, it's not saying that a woman is never going to remember the pain that she went through. When it talks about her forgetting the pain or not remembering the pain, you know, you ask my wife to talk about it, she'll talk about how painful it was giving birth to the children. She remembers the pain, but what it's saying is that the joy that comes from that labor, it makes it all worth it. You know, that's not that's not what people would rather they'd rather talk about. They'd rather talk about the baby than the labor. And the truth, it's the same thing. You know, pastoring a church, even be, being involved in the ministry, there is some labor, there's some pain that's involved sometimes, but you know what? It's all worth it. The joy that comes from that, you know, the, just the joy from preaching to you all, the joy of just having you a part of my spiritual family and a part of this church, it makes it all worth it. And you know what? I don't, I don't think much about this. If you don't think, that much about the labor. It's it's all worth it. And you know, I believe if we stay faithful, you know, we're we're never going to forget the hard times that we go through as a church. We're not going to forget those things. We're never going to forget about the battles that we face. But if we stay faithful in the end, we're all going to be glad we faced them. We're going to be glad we stayed strong. We're going to be glad 
that we were a part of it. And I hope you'll do that. I hope you're in this for the long haul. I hope you're planning on being here for another five years unless the Lord moves you or you die or something like that. I hope I hope you're committed to this place. And I hope that you will grow as an individual so we can grow, not just in numbers as a church, but we can grow spiritually and do greater things for Christ. I believe we ought to be we should be able, now that we've been here five years, we ought to be able to accomplish way more in the next five years than we've accomplished in the last five years. We should be able to do that. We should not accomplish less. We are older, we are more mature now. We should accomplish a great deal more and I believe we're going to. And so with that let's all stand together.